hold uh, next Sunday. Come on out, Vision Sunday, as we just launch into, I believe, a new season that God has for us here at AFA. Uh, as a bonus, we also have a business meeting following the service, uh, so I encourage you members, I know many of you have RSVP'd, we've got a, a great RSVP for that already. Uh, if you're still interested in attending and, and maybe you're not a member but you'd like to become one, come catch me after service. Uh, we definitely want to invite you, but we want to make sure we've kind of got a head count uh, for all the food there next week. Uh, that's going to be in the gym directly following service. Uh, we do have uh, our deacon nominations posted out at the bulletin board, so be sure to check those out today before you leave, and, and just be in prayer. Be in prayer that God would guide us and direct us um, as, as we continue to, to lead, as He continues to lead us as a church. Um, so thank you for praying, and, and look forward to that next Sunday. Well, today, we get to continue our history of, of AFA and uh, we looked at the first 60 years, the last two weeks, and so this year, or today, we're going to look at the last approximately 30 years, which many of you have lived and been a part of the church. Uh, you, you find your story in some way, shape, or form crossing paths in these last 30 years. So why don't we uh, look at this together today. In 1996, Pastor Gary and Joni Wildman were called to be the next pastors at AFA. They came to us from Fergus Falls, Minnesota. Uh, pastor Gary was our longest serving pastor at 25 years, and, and uh, like I mentioned, many, many lives in this room today. Uh, you were influenced, you, you're, you're walking with the Lord closer today because of the influence, because of the leadership of Pastor Gary and what he spoke into your life. Um, uh, and uh, so I'm so thankful for him. Each fall for over 30 years, the church hosted the Care and Share giveaway, an outreach to the community where the church family would bring new and gently used items and give them away to anyone in the community who had need of them. Hundreds of people were blessed each year by this outreach, and oftentimes 200 or more people would wait outside the doors uh, for them to open as we brought them donuts and, and hot chocolate. In the 2000s, a new outreach was traveling across the country called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. Anybody, anybody participate in that one, right? Uh, a play that the church would perform with its own actors depicting normal people who didn't realize their life was about to end and their discovery that after death there were only two options, heaven's gates or hell's flames. Many responded to the gospel during these outreaches and the church also hosted a similar one called Last Chance. In 2005, it was on the heart of Pastor Gary and the leadership of the church to invest, in, uh, to invest in and reach the next generation. They came up with a plan called Building Generations uh, that would build on to the current church building, adding a kitchen, a gym, rooms for youth ministry, and children's ministry. So they had quite the day. All the kids were in construction uniforms. They had scaffolding up here. There was a bobcat out in the foyer and, and threw a big party uh, as they launched this capital campaign. And then in 2007, uh, they broke ground on the new facility. Uh, there was snow on the ground out there. They cleared it away so they can get in there and, and uh, dig in and and construction began that year, and, and in the next year, 2008, it officially opened uh, for, for ministry to be happening, and we still enjoy the benefits uh, of that and, and those leaders today that broke ground. With Pastor Gary leading the church, he always had a heart for the next generation, whether kids, youth, or young adults. In addition to the new facility, the church also invested in several next-gen leaders. Uh, associate pastors during this time were Sean Tomasic, Aaron Shout, Brad Kingswriter, David Bauschbees, Ben Snyder, and Ryan Wolfenden. And uh, always a heart for next gen. And uh, so many lives, so many trips that happened in those 25 years. In 2012, a new mission statement was launched. Anybody know it? Love God, love people, and share Christ. It was a reminder of who we were called to be as a church. Many from the church wore the mission statement on their wrists. By chance, does anybody still have a wristband from that time? Somebody, okay, we got, it, we got a few of them. Many of them broke after a while. We wore them so much. Uh, and we, we hung the big banner outside. You probably remember seeing that, the Love God, Love People, and Share Christ banner. In 2016, the church remodeled the sanctuary, out with the blaze orange and in with the gray. 
And uh, a bit of a transformation happened that year. Uh, during the six-month remodel, services were held in the gym, and the remodel addressed many audio and architectural issues. Uh, it's interesting looking back, uh, the plans when they built this building were actually to knock out that wall and build a double sanctuary at some point uh, that would have made it centered. But in the meantime, we, we had some interesting architectural problems that we addressed during this time and, and brought us uh, to where we are today. Another outreach that many in the church were involved in during this time, uh, we were reaching teachers and, and classes at elementary schools, specifically O.M. Tiffany. For close to a decade, the church would host a meal for the teachers and throw Christmas parties for the kindergarten classes and remind each of those kids that God made them special. In 2020, the world was turned upside down by COVID-19. The church was unable to meet in person for two months. Wasn't that a time? Looking for toilet paper. Uh, but no disease could stop the church, and AFA held services online. On Easter of 2020, we had a drive-up Easter service. I couldn't find any pictures of that. If anybody has pictures of the drive-up Easter service, let me know. But we all stood out there, right? And, and to say amen, we honked our horns and we listened on the car radio and the worship team was up there playing in the frigid cold on a, on a trailer bed, you know, all those different things. And, and uh, for two months, the, after two months, the church was glad to meet back in person. And uh, we continued that live stream. We still continue it today. And on September 24th, 2021, tragedy again struck the church like it had back in 1946. After a month and a half battle with COVID, Pastor Gary uh, died and went to be with the Lord. It was a beautiful funeral, and the entire sanctuary was full. This place was, was packed. It was standing room only. A testament to the impact that he had made on so many lives in his 25 years as pastor of AFA. But even in the face of tragedy, the church came together and continued the mission to love God, love people, and share Christ. And if I could just say for a moment, I'm just, I'm amazed at how the church responded to this tragedy. We prayed, and we believed God for healing. But you know, even in the face of tragedy, the church could have given up. They could have said, ugh. But instead they came together. You guys stepped up. You said, how can I serve? And we continued the mission the one that Pastor Gary may not have started it, but, but man, he really launched it in our hearts. And we continue that mission today, to love God, love people, and share Christ. So I'm, I'm so thankful. So thankful for the many years that he ministered here, and I'm so thankful that, that as a church we can carry that on. We can continue on the mission. 2022, uh, Angie and I were honored uh, to uh, be elected as the next pastors of AFA after serving in, as associate pastors here for several years. And in the last two years, we've seen God continue to do incredible things in and through this church. God, God has done so many amazing things. I'm thankful for the associate pastors, the team that God's brought together. Uh, Pastor Joni Wildman and Sterling Smetana and Marco Magdaleno, Sam and Chloe Jacob. And, and so I'm just so thankful uh, that God is continuing to use us. And, and you know what? We've looked at these 90 years, and I, I'm left asking the question, if the Lord should tarry, what could God do in the next 90 years? What could God do in and through us? What could God do in the next 10 years? Where could God take us as we continue the mission of the church, the great commandment and the great commission to love God, love people, and share Christ? Now, I hope you've enjoyed this, this time kind of looking down memory lane right? These last 90 years, it's been a really fun project, just looking back and, and, and again, seeing the faithfulness of God, that whether in triumph or tragedy, that God has had his hand on this church, that God has had his hand uh, on his people, and he's not going to stop now. And I believe that as we look back, we can use this to launch us forward, to, to go, God, where are you going to have us go in, in these, these next decades ahead? And so that's why I'm so excited for, for Vision Sunday next week. Uh, be sure to come back and, and, and hear and, and listen and, and just be challenged. And, and let's have faith together that God can do something miraculous. That, that uh, even as good as all of these memories are, that he's got greater dreams ahead for this church. Let's just take a moment to pray before we jump into the word today. Father, Thank you 
Thank you for your faithfulness. God, thank you that, that you've sent leaders to continue to, to lead the church, God, through, through difficulties, God, through, through world wars, God, through uh, COVID, through all these different seasons that we've gone through. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for the lives that have been changed in these past 90 years. And we look forward, God, to adding many, many more to your kingdom, lives that are completely transformed. Oh, God, use us, change us, mold us, shape us. God, that we can be your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are continuing our series called Taking the Promised Land. Taking the Promised Land. And, and again, I believe that God has more for us here at AFA. I believe that he has promised us land in our city, in our community, not necessarily physical land, but, but land in the hearts and lives of the people in our community who don't know Jesus. I believe the devil has had a stronghold on people and on our city for far too long, and I believe that God wants us to go in and take that land and work that, that soil that, and plant seeds, and that God is going to produce a harvest uh, unlike we have ever seen before. And so in this series, we've been looking at the Israelites and their journey to the promised land and what they needed to do, not to take the promised land so much, but as to prepare their hearts to take it to get ready. It took them 40 years to, to come prepared, to come ready, to learn those lessons. Uh, not that it actually took 40 years to journey from Egypt uh, up to Israel, but it took their, their hearts 40 years to be prepared to walk into that promised land and to be obedient and to do what God had called them to do. We looked in past weeks of, of how initially they kept looking back. They kept looking back at Egypt and they, they kept saying, remember when, oh, we had it so good there. Sure, we were slaves, but we had food back then. And, and they kept looking back fondly on it, but they weren't ready to look ahead yet. God had to change their hearts. Last week, we looked at uh, Caleb and Joshua and how God had given them, they had a different spirit. And we need a different spirit to, to go and take the, the promised land. Right? We need a spirit that has, that's full of vision, a spirit that's full of obedience, a spirit that's full of faith, a spirit that's full of good report if we want to go in and take the promised land. Again, we can't be looking back. And this week, we're going to see that if we want to take the promised land, then we need to be prepared to change. We need to be prepared to change. How many of you in here like change? Not many of us, right? We don't like change. We like to be comfortable. We like routine. We don't like change. There was a study that was done uh, a while back by John Hopkins University. And they noted uh, at the beginning of this study that there was um, 80% of the healthcare budget was consumed by five behavioral issues. Right? They're trying to figure out how can we save money, how can we do any of this. And they're, they're realizing, man, all of our budget, 80% of our budget is going because people drink too much, smoke too much, eat too much, have too much stress, or they don't exercise enough. Those five things. They said, if we can change those five things, right? If we can change people's behaviors, if we can change people's habits, then we will save a lot of money. We won't have to do all these surgeries that could be completely avoided if people would just change their lifestyle. So they focused specifically in on heart disease and different bypass surgeries and all of those things. A lot of these that they labeled as uh, they could be fixed or they could be changed if people would just change their lifestyle. And so the study, what they did, uh, they would go in and, and find it, uh, find out these cases, and, and when the doctor would come in and he would say this, maybe some of you have had this chat before with your doctor, and he said, well, you've got two options. You know, you can, you can, you can change your lifestyle, you know, you can eat better, you can work out, you can exercise, you can do all these different things, or you can die, right? Those are your choices, change or die. They kind of give them an ultimatum. And so they did their research. So they, they looked at the patients that, that had this ultimatum on their plate, change or die, because it basically it's saying, uh, we did this surgery, you can change your lifestyle, you can live a long time, or you can keep down that same pace, we'll be back here two years from now, doing the same thing all over again, you might not make it. Right? Change or die. And they did their research, and think about this, 90%. 
90% of the people they researched decided they'd rather die. They didn't change their action. They might have said, yeah, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do all this. But their behaviors, 90% of their behaviors said, no, we're just going to stay the same. Humanity, we would rather die than change. I mean, literally, that's what we're faced with. In church, I believe that the church is faced with the same ultimatum today. Change or die. Change or die. The Israelites were faced with that. Change or die. We, we looked at the last 90 years. And the church has had to change. Now, God's word doesn't change. Our doctrines don't change. But our culture around us is constantly changing. And so if we want to reach the people around us, if we want to reach the next generation, then we're going to have to change. We're going to have to change how we, how we reach them, how we go about it. Uh, 90 years ago, we reached the next generation through Sunday school. 60 years ago, we reached the next generation maybe through a TV program. You know, this, this last 30 years, we reached the next generation through expanding facilities and having a... What was it going to take to reach the next generation now? What's it going to take? Because church, if we decide, you know, we're just going to stay the same. We're just going to keep doing the things that we're doing and, uh, you know, hope everybody follows suit. But, but if we get comfortable as a church... You know, again, our options are, are change or die. Because eventually, our, our funerals will start outnumbering our baptisms. And that's a scary thing. That's a scary thing as a church. We need to grow. We need to reach the next generation. And it's going to take every generation to do it. We've got to reach the next generation. We've got to reach more people. Change or die. You know, personally, in, in each of our lives, we're presented with this ultimatum. Change or die. Because right? we all want to be our own masters, but God tells us, no, you've got to change your masters. You've got you to change your Lord. The one true God, who are you going to serve? We've got to change or die. And again, the Israelites uh, were, were faced with this. And as a church, we're faced. It's interesting. I was thinking about this. Think of how many changes we're looking at the last 30 years. You know, Pastor Gary pastor for 25 years. Think of how many changes Pastor Gary led us through. And specifically in technology, right? When he started 20, uh, in 1996, uh, for worship, we had all of the songs and choruses printed in the bulletin. And then came the overhead projector. Remember those things? You know, you got the transparencies up here. I think the, you know, and the, they're, they're sliding it down, making it. That was like the best job in the church, was get to run the transparency thing. Anybody ever get to run overhead transparencies? Oh, guys are special people. You know, and then a little while later, the church bought a slide projector. Not a projector projector, a slide projector, you know, you know, and it's, it's moving from slide to slide. And then we finally got into the next you know, century and we got a projector projector, you know, and now we're up to a laser projector. Next, it'll be an LED wall or something. I don't know, you know, but, but think about that. Think it's funny, Pastor Gary led us into the 21st century. Think about how much technology, he didn't know technology, but he knew the right people to ask. You know, and it was just, just amazing to see how much change has come in our church. We've got to change, we've got to adapt, we've got to grow or die. So the big question today, are we willing to change to take the land? Are we willing to change to take our city? Are we willing to change so that more people can learn about Jesus. Are we willing to change today? Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. So at the start of this series, we looked at the passages where the, the Israelites were, uh, they had just been freed, they had just gotten out of Egypt, and when they left Egypt, they had, you know, they had brought some food with them, they, they probably had you know, maybe some dried meat or something, or they had some fish from the Nile. Uh, they got out there, and I mean, we're talking, there's thousands of people out there, thousands of people, but eventually, the food they brought with them ran out, and they got hungry. And you can imagine, when you have thousands of people to feed out in the wilderness, you, you can only hunt or gather so much, and that food runs out pretty quick. Uh, I remember when Angie and I first got married, uh, going out to eat was really simple. You know, can I get a, a number two and a number six? And they said, yeah, that'll be $10. And it was great. Not today, right? Today, we've got a family of six. I pull up to the drive-thru and, you know, I start ordering, start with the kids' meals. All right, can I have a hamburger kids' meal yeah, with the fries? 
uh, and a lemonade, and, and then they're like, okay, is that all? No, no, I'm going to be here for a while, right? I'm one of, we're one of those cars now that's holding up the line, right, that you guys are probably honked at, like, come on. It's like, sorry, we've got, there's six of us now. We've got to order, it takes forever, and then the food just disappears when, when we, it's like, where to go? So I can't imagine thousands of people how fast that food would go. So they're out there, and, and, and they're complaining, God, send us back to Egypt. At least we had food there. So what did God do? An incredible miracle. He sent something called manna. It was named manna because they looked at it and they said, what is it? And that's the name manna translated, right? So they, they've got this stuff. They don't know what it is. And, and what it was, it, it appeared every day like dew on the ground. It appeared like dew on the ground. And, and the Bible says it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. And every day it appeared there for the Israelites to eat. And what was interesting is that uh, they would go out, and, and God told them, he gave them specific rules. He said, hey, uh, I know you're hungry. I know that you've been you know, kind of starving and all this stuff lately, but don't store up. Don't store up anything for tomorrow. I know our natural inclination when we don't have enough, uh, when we haven't had enough, would be to go and gather as much as we could and store it up, pack it up. He said, don't do that. Just get enough for today. Because if you get too much, if you get more for tomorrow, tomorrow you're going to wake up and that stuff's going to be rotten. It's going to have maggots in it. You're not going to like it. It's, it's going to be bad. So just trust me. He says, I want you to trust me. Trust me that I'm going to take care of your every needs. But then he said, on the sixth day, I want you to gather double. So on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, you won't have to go out and gather it. And that day, it's going to be another miracle because it's not going to have maggots in it. It's not going to rot. It'll be enough to feed you. And so this manna was some pretty impressive stuff. Uh, they gathered it six days a week. It, it fed them for seven days, and it gave them all of the nutrients that they, they needed. I mean, it was, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. I mean, think about this daily miracle for 40 years. Probably the longest sustained miracle in the Bible. As they continued on their journey, they encountered many other miracles that God did on a daily basis. I mean, they started saying, ah, we're kind of sick of this bread stuff, this manna. Could you send us something else? They didn't ask that nicely. They complained, and, and, and God sent them quail into the land that basically landed on their plate so they had meat to eat. Uh, they also uh, were led by the literal presence of God. There was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and every day uh, they, would, they would see that. They would see where God wanted them to be. If the pillar set out, they would set out. When the pillar stopped, they would stop. And they saw God's miracles every day. It also said that while they were in the wilderness, that their clothes didn't wear out. They wore the same clothes for the, those 40 years they were wandering around. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. God miraculously provided for the Israelites while they were in the wilderness. So, in Joshua chapter 5, that brings us to this point. They enter the promised land. And in verse 10, it tells us this. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate the food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. So I want you to just put yourself in the Israelite's shoes for a minute. Can you imagine what that would have been like? The day the manna stopped. The day the manna, for 40 years, for 40 years, every day, like clockwork, they would get out there, except for on the Sabbath, they'd get out there and they'd collect the manna. They, they probably, at that point, thought it wasn't even supernatural anymore. It was probably just natural. And for 40 years, they, they did that. For 40 years. So you imagine that day they go out there and they're like, hey, where, where'd the manna go? Where, why didn't, is today a Sabbath day? Is, you know, is today the seventh day? Did I miss something? Is my calendar wrong? So they go out there the next day. Oh, okay, something's different. Something's changed. They had to deal with change in their life. You know, they, they go down to, to scoop it up or something, and all of a sudden they hear a rip. Whoa, what happened? <laughs> Split their pants. Like, that hasn't happened in the last 40 years. 
You know, these are my good pants, God. Why would you let that happen? You know, the, the, a mom's walking around and all of a sudden she feels something like, what's, there's a hole in my shoe. You know, I haven't had one of those before. You know, uh, we don't know when it, it stopped. We don't know when it happened, but presumably sometime around this time, all of a sudden the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud no longer led them once they got into the promised land. They had to deal with change. They had to deal with all of these different things. The quail no longer uh, rained down. See, change, it's, it's something that's hard to deal with. God had provided all these years for them. It was the only life they know. I mean, again, they probably thought manna was normal. For many of them, they grew up, and that's all that they knew was manna. They, they figured this is just the normal course of life. You go outside, and manna appears every day. But they didn't realize it was supernatural. You know, it makes me wonder. How many things do we take for granted every day that we view as just natural, that are maybe supernatural? Right? How often do we enter into the presence of God and it's just like, oh God, this is so good. Do we understand that's supernatural? That's not natural. How many times do, does God bless us? Right? Does God find a way to make ends meet when the mathematics don't end up? And we like to just write it off as, well, you know, it's just coincidence. How many times do we mistake the supernatural for natural? How many times do we not give God glory for something, that he has made things happen? I mean, even the fact, uh, in some of us, we've experienced God's supernatural protection. Uh, even the fact that we've got breath in our lungs and the sun comes up every day. You know, there's something supernatural about that. There's just something supernatural to the order that God has put around us. As the Israelites experienced this change when the manna stopped, when the clothes wore out, when the pillars went away, I, I wonder if they asked this question. God, why did you change? God, where did you go? God, why don't you care about us anymore? I wonder if they asked that question. You know, God, you used to provide for us. God, you used to give us bread from heaven. There was nothing wrong with it. God, God where did you go? Why don't you care for us? God, why have you abandoned us? I wonder if they asked that question. Have you ever asked that question before? God, where'd you go? God, why don't you care? God, why don't I feel your presence the way that I used to? God, you always used to provide for me in this way, but you don't do that anymore. God, where did you go? God, why did you change? But think about it for a minute. In the case of the Israelites and in your case, did God change? God's the same yesterday and today and forever. God doesn't change. But he took the Israelites and he was blessing them in one way. But I believe he took the Israelites and he brought them into a new season of blessing. He brought them into a greater season of blessing. His blessing didn't go away. But how he blessed them changed. And it wasn't for the worse. It was for the better. A season that they could never have experienced. They could have never experienced the fruit of the land. They could have never experienced the, the harvest from the land if they were still living off the manna. God was taking them into a new season of blessing. See, God didn't change. God didn't change. He was just calling his kids to something greater. He was calling his children to something greater. But to receive the greater blessing, they had to change. They had to change. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, uh, verse 12 says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, I think this verse relates because the Israelites were pretty immature when they started out on their journey. They didn't trust God. They complained. They, they looked back. And, and so God provided for them miraculously. He, he fed them in a sense. He, he said, here you go. I'm preparing a meal for you. Take it and eat. I, I'm going to meet every one of your needs and you're not even going to have to work for it. But he's saying, all right, guys, now you're in the promised land. It's time to grow up. 
It's time to go to a new level. And, and they had to change. And I believe that if we want to enter the promised land, we need to be able to change. We've got to be ready for change when we're entering the promised land. We've got to be ready to, to grow up, to go into a new season of God's blessing. Any teenagers here this morning or parents of teenagers? Right? A lot of you here today. Can you imagine today if, you know, you go home, maybe you got a nice crock pot meal going or something in the oven. You got, you know, pot roast and carrots and mashed potatoes coming out of there. And ah, I always get hungry when I think about food. And you go home and it smells so good. And, and so you, you go up to your teenager or teenager, you, you go up and, and you find your spot at the table. And then your mom or dad, they come out and, and they bring you a bib and they put it around your neck. You know, and then they go and, you know, they, they put the potatoes on your plate and the, and, and the meat and the corn and they chop it up real nice for you. And they bring it over, you know, to you at the table and, and they scoop up a little set and they say, all right, open up now, you know, and, and, and they start feeding you. There's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? Something's gone wrong in those 16 years. Either that teenager said, I don't want to change, or that parent said, I don't want to change. You know, you can't grow up. You're going to be my, my little boy or my little girl forever. But that's sad, isn't it? That'd be sad if you, if you saw something like that. Here, here's a teenager completely capable of feeding themselves. But yet they decided, or their parents decided, we don't want to change. We don't want to grow up. We just want to keep things the way they used to be. See, they would be <clears throat> a bad parent if that's the level you were still at. Because they didn't teach you. They didn't show you. They didn't train you. And, and God would be a bad parent if he didn't bring us into seasons of change. God would be a bad dad if he didn't encourage us and challenge us to grow and take us into greater seasons of blessing. See, God's a good father. And he knows that if he wants his children to grow up, that we have to go through change. And we go through change and we go through these maturing processes so we can experience freedom at a new level. See, God's blessing and provisions changed for the Israelites because he was calling them to a new level of maturity. And instead of providing, instead of basically spoon-feeding the Israelites, now he's saying, all right, here you go. Here's land. I'm going to give you a greater blessing. Now you don't need me to provide for you. I'm providing the land. I'm going to provide water. I'm going to provide sunshine. I'm going to provide all the conditions that you need. But now you're going to have to work the land. You're going to have to get in there. You're going to, you're going to have to plow the land. You're going to have to plant seed. You're going to have to trust me with this seed that you put in the ground that I'm going to be faithful with it. And it's going to turn into a harvest. And you're going to have more than you've ever had before. You're going to have much better tasting things than you had before. Right? The, the, uh, the promised land was the land flowing with milk and honey. But to get the milk, you, you had to milk the cows or milk the goats. And to get the honey, you had to fight the bees. It was going to take some work. It was going to take some work. They were going to have to go through change. See, when we're first saved in our lives, I, I believe that we experience God's supernatural presence. You know, maybe you can go back to that day and you just, you have the, these great memories of what Jesus did in your life that day. The feeling was indescribable. Or maybe for you, that was the day that you got uh, baptized. Or maybe it was the day that you were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, whatever it might be. And if you haven't been baptized yet, come talk to me. Don't wait. Don't wait. And so we think about those, those times in our lives when God moved powerfully in our lives. But then there's also a time, I think, in, in every believer's life where those feelings that we had when we first got saved, all of a sudden they stop. You know, it's like, what changed? God, what happened? And we can ask those questions just like the Israelites did. God, why did you abandon me? You know, and we try to go down to the altar. We try to recreate the conditions. And it's just like, God, why is it different? Why is it different? Why, why don't you respond the same way you used to? God, why did the manna stop? But again, may, God didn't change. Maybe he's just calling you to a new level. Maybe he's, he's telling you, hey, instead of just trusting the feeling, trust my word. Trust my word. I want to take you to a new level of blessing. Because when you can trust my work, when you can trust that where two or three or more of you are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, right? Then we can do a lot more. We don't have to say, oh, God, send your presence. Well, we can start by saying, God, I know your presence is here. 
God, I know you're faithful. God, I know you didn't abandon me. God, I know that you're, because your word tells me so. God, I'm going to trust in those promises. I'm going to trust in them. We can accomplish so much more when we begin to trust in him. He's calling us into a new level. See, when the Israelites entered the promised land, God didn't allow them to, to simply be consumers. They had to work at it. God was calling them now to be producers. And I believe to enter the promised land, we need to be producers, not simply consumers. Think about that for a moment. For 40 years, God miraculously provided for the Israelites. They didn't have to hunt for their food. They didn't have to do anything like that. They weren't in a place long enough to grow crops. They depended on God. They simply consumed what God gave them. But when they entered the promised land, the the manna stopped because now they needed to work the land. They needed to work the territory that God had given them. They needed to produce. See, for years, God had blessed them. But now God was calling them into a season where they could be a blessing to others. That's what God's calling us to. Don't simply receive the blessings of God, but to be part of giving the blessings of God to other people around us. In Luke 19... Uh, we, we see a, a parable of the ten minas. A master went away and he gave ten of his servants a mina, which was an amount of money. And he said, I want you to invest the mina. I want you to do business with the mina while I am gone. You know, you've seen me. You've seen how I've grown the kingdom. You've seen how I've done all these things. You, you've simply been consumers for a long time, but now I want you to produce. And so the master came back, and, and he was given three different reports. And in Luke 19, verse 16, it said this. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. He says, Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Now notice these two servants, right? Notice what they did here. The master gave them each a mina, and what did they do? They invested it. They, they invested it. Whatever they, they might have done, they were probably watching the master. They saw what he did, and so they went out and invested it. Uh, before, they were just servants. They were just consumers. They were living off the master, but now the master's entrusted them with more, and he's saying, I want you to be producers. I want you to go out there and, and do more and, and increase and, and share this with people. Invest it. Plant it in the ground like seeds and, and see what harvest comes up. And when he came back, he says, hey, I've, I've earned 10 more. I've earned five more. And you know what's interesting is their reward for being faithful. The reward for being faithful wasn't riches and glory. The reward for faithfulness was cities. Or in other words, responsibility. They were given a lot more responsibility. You've been faithful with a little. Now, I believe you're going to be faithful with more. So he gave them more responsibility. He gave them more work. Just as the Israelites, as they were finally faithful with the manna that God gave them, they were given more. They were given the promised land. They were given more work. You know, but there was a third report that we see in here from one of the servants. Luke 19, uh, verse 20, it says, Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it, laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. See, this servant was just content with staying a consumer. He said, I'm just going to keep living off my master's house. I'm just going to keep living off the manna. And he never produced anything. He never invested. Here God had given him this great gift, but he was content to bury it. Church, God's calling us to be not simply consumers, but to be producers. He's calling us not simply to come on a Sunday morning and consume his word, 
But he, he's calling us, hey, I, I want you to consume God's word daily. I want you to dig in. I want you to plow the ground for yourself. I, I, I want you to, to jump in and read God's word on your own every single day. Not just for you, but so then you can share it with other people around you. You can teach other people around. Oh, you know, I was just reading in God's word this morning. And have those conversations. He wants us to be producers, not just consumers. See, I, I believe that that he's calling us to live a spirit-filled life. He's calling us to live a spirit-filled life where we start producing the fruit of the spirit. We start producing love and joy and peace and patience and all these things, not for ourselves, but so that we can give it away, so we can invest in other people, so we can say, here's some love, here's some peace, here, here's, here, here's the, the, the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit in my life. And we can bless the people around us. He's calling us to be producers. He's calling us to work the land. He's, he's calling us to plow the soil around us. See, I believe that as we go out into our city, as you go out into your families, as you go out into the workplace, that you may be sitting next to somebody or positioned next to somebody who's hard soil, right? I mean, they're unresponsive. They don't want to hear the gospel, difficult, all those different things. But as they see your life, as they see how you live, as they see your joy, right? as they see you handle tragedy well, as they see the peace about you, right? as they see all these things, it starts to stir up the ground a little bit, starts to plow the land a little bit. And all of a sudden, now they're, they're a little bit more open to the gospel. And, and so when the time is right, you share. Hey, this is, this is where my joy comes from. This is where my peace comes from. This is why I got a smile on my face. This is, this is why I'm able to keep going even though things aren't going well around me. It's because of Jesus. He came and he, and he died for me. And I know that when I die, uh, that because I believed in him, I get to go to heaven. And we plant that seed. And all of a sudden, God takes that and he does something wonderful. And he multiplies it, and the Holy Spirit convicts and, and speaks. And all of a sudden, this person that used to be hard soil is now fertile ground. And their lives are forever changed, and they accept Jesus as their Savior. Now they're telling other people, and they're spreading the good news. We're called to be producers, not simply consumers. See, we will never take the promised land if we are not willing to change. Change is coming. Worship team, would you, would you join me? Change is coming. Change is required if we want to reach our city. It's required if we want to reach our city. Change is required if we want to build something that will outlast us. Change is required. If we want to see different results, then we need to be willing to do something different. So are we willing? Are we willing? Like the study I mentioned earlier, we are faced with that ultimatum change or die. We're faced, we're faced with it as a church. We're faced with it individually. Each one of us is faced with that ultimatum, change or die. Because right now, every one of us, when, when we're born, when we first take that decision to, to sin, what the Bible calls sin, to follow our own way rather than God's way, we have carved ourselves a path to death. Right? We are on the path to death. And so we are faced with that decision, change or die. And a lot of times we try to change. We try to say, I'm going to do things physically to change. I'm going to do good things. I'm going to think about good things. You know, I'm going to help people, all those things. But they're not enough to steer us off the course of death. We've got to change our master. We've got to change our leader. Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. And when I'm talking about death, I'm not talking about physical death. Yeah, we're all destined to die. But it's what happens after death. Like we talked about earlier. We've got two choices, heaven's gates or hell's flames. Two choices. And it's all about who's your master? Who do you serve? You serve yourself? You serve money? serve an idol? Or do you serve Jesus? Because Jesus is the only way to heaven. There's no other name given to men by which we must be saved. 
And so we're faced with that choice today. Change or die. And today, if you've never made that choice, today's a great day to make that choice. Today's a great day. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross. I believe that you rose again after three days. I believe that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and I want to make you the Lord of my life. And that's the change that we need to make. That's the change we need to make. So today, if that's you, you can simply say a prayer right right where you're seated. And I believe that God, uh, and I know that God, we can trust him in his word. He says that when we call on him, that we will be saved. We will be. Not maybe, not might be. We will be saved. We can know today without a shadow of a doubt that when we die, we're going to heaven. Are you willing to change today? Church, for those of you who follow Jesus already, are you willing to change today? Are we willing to change as a church to reach our city? It's really comfortable to be consumers. It's really nice to be fed. But it's an even greater blessing to be producers. It's an even greater blessing to pour out, to take what God's given us and to share that with the people in our communities, to share that with the people in our city, to take the promised land. But are we willing to change? Are we willing to change so that others' lives can be changed? You know, it's been a real blessing and a privilege to see so many in this church change from a person who simply looks for the blessings of God to being a person who becomes the blessing of God to someone else. And we've seen that time and time again. I'm not telling you anything new today. But what else can we do? Where else can we go? Who else can we reach as we continue to love God love people, and share Christ. He moves us from just being a recipient of God's miracles to being a part of God's miracles to others. It's it's a mystery. It's profound. But God chooses to use people, flawed people, to be a blessing to others, to share his gospel with others, to perform miracles in others. So are we ready to take the promised land? Are we ready to not look back and wish it was the way it used to be? But to move forward and say, God, I believe you've got more ahead. Are we ready to have a different spirit in our lives? Are we we ready to say, God, I want to be full of vision. I want to be full of faith. I want to be full of obedience. God, I want to be full of good report. Are we ready to change? I believe we can. Would you stand with me right now? Okay, we've got some time left, and, and, and so here's what I want us to do, something maybe a little bit different than we normally do. I want you to find a place in this room just to get alone with God. You can go head into the back. You can come up front, but just find some space so you can reach out and not touch anybody. You can move right now. Go ahead. You can just, right now, just, just find a place where you can get alone with God. Just kind of spread out in this room, and, and, and we're just going to take some, some time to respond to check our heart, to check our gauges and just ask, God, where am I right now? God, where's my heart? Am I ready to change? So just find a place to, to make an altar, to get alone with God and ask him, God, am I ready to enter the promised land? God, am I ready to take ground in our city? God, am I ready for the vision that you have for us? God, am I going to be obedient when, when you speak When you tell me to go, am I willing to go? Are we ready, church? God's got so much more for us. He's calling us to something greater. He's calling us to a new level of blessing. But are we ready? Are we ready for the change that's going to come? I know this. We'll be grateful if we say yes. But each one of us, we've got to take that time. So Lord Jesus, right now in these moments that we have, just in your presence, in your supernatural presence, I pray that you would speak. Make us ready. Prepare our hearts for what you want to do. Because Lord, we know the harvest is great. And it's going to be worth it. Prepare us for change, God. 
take us out of our comfort zone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take this time. Let's just seek God together.
so good, God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you are willing to go through change for us. You were willing to die. God, you were willing to give it all, and you did for us. So, Lord, may our response, may our response, God, may, may our reaction be to give it all for you. Lord, you love people. You love people. God, you care about the people in our city who are dying and going to hell and they don't even realize it. The 3.4 billion people in our world have never heard about you. God, you care. You care. And you're calling us to do something about it. To be your hands and your feet. To go and work the land. Oh, God, we believe the harvest is going to be great. But will we rise up and be those workers to take in the harvest? God, you're preparing hearts even right now. Oh, God, you're, you're preparing hearts out there. They don't know what's coming. But, Lord, they're going to hear about you and their lives are going to be changed. They're going through pain. They're going through struggle. They're, they've got questions. Lord, I can't wait for the day they meet their Savior. God, and we have the privilege of being on the front lines. Give them a hug as they make that decision to follow Jesus. Walking with them through that process of, of coming to know you, of reading your word. Reaching the next generation. Oh, Lord, we're blessed. And we don't fully understand how blessed we are. But God, give us a greater realization that you're calling us into the promised land. You're calling us to work the ground. So Lord, prepare our hearts. May we be ready to change. Help us to change before we have to, before it's absolutely necessary. God, help us to say, no, God, I'm willing. Start it in me now. Start it in me now. Start it with me, God. care about people the way you do. So Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. And it's a joy and a privilege to labor alongside. To Thank you for trusting us with this city, with this responsibility. May we not take it lightly. Oh, may we not take it lightly. Because we know your faithfulness will follow us. God, you will be faithful wherever we go. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Are we ready to take our city? Are we ready to take the land that God has promised us? I believe that God's got great things ahead. I challenge you, encourage you, come back next Sunday. Believe with me that God's got greater things for our city. If you need to take some more time, these altars are open, the sanctuary is open. Use it to continue seeking after God. Church, I'm excited. Our best days are yet to come. God's got a lot more land out there for us to take. And believe that many lives are going to be changed. Have an incredible week, church.